Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. More sad news on the retail sector here in this country. Uh, another one bites the dust, I suppose. Pier 1 has filed for bankruptcy protection and will be closing all of its Canadian stores. This is a shattering news, obviously, for the employees, but uh, maybe also a bit of a bellwether for what's happening uh, with the Canadian economy. Bruce Winder joins us. Bruce is, of course, a retail expert and speaker and consultant, professor and entrepreneur. Uh, Bruce, thank you for the time. Glad you could join us on the program today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Did this come as a surprise to you? Not at all, no. Um, most people who follow the industry realize that earlier in January, uh, Pier 1 signaled that they had some serious problems. Um, they, they were announced they were closing 450 stores out of their roughly 1,000. And um, they'd also hired someone uh, recently who was a turnaround sort of bankruptcy expert. So all the signs were pointing that these folks might uh, be in trouble and enter bankruptcy soon. You know, as soon as you hear the story, it conjures up memories of Sears and and so many other companies that have uh, come and gone uh, 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 that seem to be things that were going to be with us forever. What What's going on here, Bruce? Well, there's a lot going on. I mean, basically, you have the slow or not so slow um, merging of channels. So you have online sales uh, in Canada and the U.S. growing significantly, call it 15 to 20 percent a year. Um, you have uh, retailers with too many stores, too much real estate, and that's what I heard in, in terms of this case, Pier 1, there was uh, an abundance uh, of real estate, too much real estate. So people are caught, stores are caught, uh, retailers are caught, I should say, with too many stores. You don't need as many stores when more shopping is being done online. The second thing that's happening is um, it's sort of a changing of the guard from a customer standpoint. Um, you know, go back in time, and it was more boomers and Gen Xers who were the target of uh, most retailers because they were the big spenders, right? Mm-hmm. They were at the life stage where they were spending. Now that torch has moved on to millennials, and millennials are a different breed. They're not going to buy from the same places that mom and dad or grandma and grandpa bought from. They have their own brands they like. Um, and you look at the rise of websites like Wayfair, which is uh, very aggressive, uh, in home furnishings and furniture. You look at Amazon, that's really risen up. You look at even some of the discounters in Canada, Walmart, in the U.S., you have Target and Walmart. And, you know, these discounters have also used home products and home furnishings as a, a key category to bring people in every week. So a bit of a perfect storm, um, but this isn't uncommon. Uh, you're going to see more retailers go by the wayside who are sort of uh, who are falling short of that formula I mentioned. Let's talk a little bit about the online shopping, Bruce. And you just threw the stat out there about fifteen to twenty percent, I guess, of, of sales. Uh, it's growing. It's still a significant number, but it's it, it seems to be having a much bigger impact uh, on the retail market. I mean, with, with some of the stores that are closing down right now, that uh, it's a growing number. But are, are we gravitating toward that? Is is this the the, the beginning of the end for the uh, the bricks and mortar stores? Yeah, it's not the beginning of the end for all brick and mortar stores. It's the beginning of the end for brick and mortar stores that uh, aren't experiential, don't connect well with their online, aren't using the two channels in harmony. You know, you have to really use the two channels as one. You have to use online and in store, and they have to complement each other. And I would suggest that if you look at Pier 1, their store experience was fairly similar to what it was maybe 15, 20 years ago. Didn't really evolve, didn't really invest in the business with digital. Uh, the folks who are winning absolutely need online uh, and bricks. And what they're doing is they're using bricks to, uh, depending on the category, they're using bricks to educate consumers, to excite consumers, create community, 
uh, make it fun, you know, to go to the store and learn and explore. Um, those are the retailers who are winning. And you're even seeing select pure play online retailers adding stores here and there. Not as many, but here and there they're adding a few stores because they realize that there's a percentage of people for certain categories that just want to go in a store and browse, talk to people, touch and feel the merchandise. Well, and I, I guess I'm one of those people. I mean, I, I, you know, I still buy books. I mean, I don't know too many people. Everybody reads stuff on on, uh, on their tablet these days. I still like sure. that. I still like to go in and, and see the experience, feel it, touch sure. it, etc. But I got to like, for instance, this past weekend we were in Home Depot a couple of different times, and and both times as we were talking to one of the sales, they drove. They they, they said go to the web page. Go to the, you know here's our web page. So they're yeah. really driving that element, even though here I am in the store. Uh, they're saying go to the to the website and all the information you need is going to be there and then we can come back and talk about this. Now I, I yeah. don't know what Pier One situation is, but it just seems that even the the bricks and mortar retailers are understanding the the significance of online shopping or at least online browsing before you shop. Yeah, I mean that's always been a key uh, piece. So I mean, you know, even even say call it ten or fifteen years ago. And it's been like this. Most people start their purchase for a given product uh, or service online, and they do some search online, and then they go to the store afterwards, maybe to confirm their purchase, either make the purchase, learn more about it. So most people start there, and, and, and if you go back about uh, 10 years ago, uh, when Canada was underdeveloped from an online standpoint, um, the, the, the websites for these companies was really used mostly as an educational tool. Now it's obviously uh, changed to be a conversion tool where you actually buy a lot of product online and have it delivered to stores. I guess we as consumers are much more confident with online shopping. I mean, there were some bumps in the road when this really started to become in vogue a few years ago, but it seems to have been ironed out. Yeah, I mean, one of the big things when this started, you know, call it back in 2000, was, oh, I don't want to give up my credit card. Yeah. Right? That was a big issue. That was resolved because the banks will cover you up to 100 bucks. Um, and then what happened after that was, well, you know, I don't trust. What if I don't like the merchandise? And then what happened is online retailers um, started saying, don't worry, don't worry. If you buy something, we have a very liberal return policy. You can return it free of charge. You can send it back after X number of days. So they kind of took the risk away in many cases, from buying a product online. And that's why we started to see uh, significant growth in that channel. Well, and yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, isn't Wayfair's policy, if you don't like it, just leave it back on the front porch and we'll pick it up and give you the money you do want? Yeah, for sure. That's pretty much everyone's policy right now. But that's not sustainable because these online players are losing tons of money through this liberal return policy. So what you're going to see in the next few years, you're going to see a tightening up of these policies. So some of the risk of that purchase is going to be pushed back on the consumer. And, and maybe that's one of the things that they have not yet addressed, because you're right, with the old store, the bricks and mortar store, if there was a return, there was always this section, even in the department stores, wasn't there, Bruce, where you, you, know, you know, slightly damaged or whatever it was, they sure. could sell it at a reduced price, but still, you know, make some money off it. Uh, I guess the, the online folks haven't really figured that out yet. No, and that's why they're losing a ton of money. I mean, most folks who sell online uh, haven't figured out the path to profitability yet. So um, that's just it. You know, you might make decent margins. You might skip the overhead of having all these stores, but you're getting crushed in terms of uh, returns because you, you may not have an outlet to resell it. You have to handle it. You may put it back in stock. You may have to pay for shipping to get it back. So it's a real drag on earnings. What's what's going to happen to these buildings, the the actual physical structures now? I mean, obviously, we're concerned about the employees, the people that have been employed by this company sure. yeah. are, are going to be looking for work, and that's in itself tragic, uh, given the, the the way things are in the economy of these days. But mm-hmm. we always look to say, okay, what's what's going to happen here? What's coming up next? Especially with a chain like this, as you said, that probably had too many outlets to begin with. 
Yeah, well, in Canada, they have about 90 stores, 89 stores, so they're going to close down. And you know what? There's there's a lot of retail out there that is being uh, is empty that folks have vacated over the last few years. And there's going to continue to be a lot of retail that's vacant, too, over the next several years. And what's happening is uh, property owners, landlords are looking for, if possible, sort of mixed use. So they're looking at, can we redevelop this area? Is there a dental office, a fitness center, a medical office, a daycare Anything that is sort of um, a service or a uh, something that you would need in your local community that you can't buy online. Um, in some cases, um, malls, large malls, are looking to redevelop themselves to be partial condominiums and apartments and also having sort of mixed use where they have uh, maybe some businesses and then they have some retail on the bottom. So it's definitely a time when um, landlords are looking to redevelop things um, one thing that's good about real estate, not necessarily in this case, but you're seeing a growth in some of the warehouse businesses. So mm-hmm. if you look at some of this, the old sort of warehouse style uh, real estate within the GTA, it's going through the roof because everyone's setting up online shops, everyone needs warehouse space, etc. Sadly, it's not really on the front line, it's not on Main Street, it's off the beaten path. But it's interesting the 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 evolution that's occurring here. Back, uh, you know, some of the larger malls here, Cadillac Fairview and, and Real Cannon properties like that, always had to have an anchor tenant. And it was usually a Sears or an Eaton's back in those days, or yep. something like that. Uh, now those anchors are not necessarily even retail outlets. They could be something else altogether different, as you say. It could be condominiums. Uh, there was one proposal that was being kicked around here in Hamilton a little while ago about building a hockey arena uh, beside sure. one of the bigger malls because they've lost some tenants. So it's it's a real Absolutely. it's. It's a paradigm shift here, isn't it? It really is, and it's going to change even more. But it's just a paradigm shift. It's just changing consumer habits. People don't need to go to the mall as much. They don't need to go to stores as much. So you have to make the mall more of a place that, you know, you get up and have a service there, something you need, mixed use. I mean, you're probably going to go back. Malls eventually will go back to almost a Victorian feel, you know, from, from England, from call it a couple hundred years ago, where it's just like a giant marketplace. And you can get, you know, a haircut there, you can watch a band play, you can have a pint, uh, do some shopping, and it's sort of, you know, that kind of uh, thing where you have a mix of local retailers and big chains. So I think retail's in for a significant shift in the next five to ten years. So in other words, the anchor is not to, to go and buy something, it's actually maybe could be an entertainment venue of some description. Exactly. In other words, we got we got to yeah. get people out of their houses and into the mall physically right now. What are we going to do? Remember the old days, it was always like, there would be these multiplex theaters. Uh, those seem to have gone the way of the dodo bird too, but uh, maybe they're going to have to rethink that. Yeah, I mean, Netflix and all the other streaming channels are eating the lunch of all those folks. I mean, we'll see what happens, though. You know what? Industries have a tend to reinvent themselves, and they may find a new business model that works based on this new reality. But, you know, certainly that's the challenge is how do you get people out of their house and go to the mall? It's not, you know, people are time-starved more than they were before, right? You go mm-hmm. back 30 years ago, uh, people had more leisure time. Right now, people are working, you know, at least one or two jobs to make ends meet. They don't have as much time to do things. Uh, they have activities, etc. So it's just there's less time in the day for everyone. So that that people will win if they know how to solve that riddle for uh, for those segments. And there's really two segments, right? There's sort of the extremely wealthy, and then there's sort of everyone else, right? And and both both segments have very different needs and very different retail opportunities, uh, depending on what snack bracket you're in. Bruce, with uh, this news about Pier 1 and, of course, Susie Shear a little while ago and, and a long list of others, I guess we, we only don't have time to get into all of them, uh, sure. there's, there's got to be a discussion going on in boardrooms of some of these other Canadian companies or Canadian subsidiaries and saying, what do we need to do to make sure that we're not next? What's that conversation like? 
it's a tough conversation because um, to, you know to, to really change properly uh, and be you know and really update yourself as a chain, you need fairly significant capital investment and you need uh, a fair amount of heft. And um, these companies might not have the appetite for that um, because if you look at if they're trying to please investors, when you when you say hey I need a whole bunch of capital to change. Uh, investors might not be up for it. They might see retail as you know less of a of a favorable way to place to put their money, etc. So it's kind of like some of them are caught in the rock in a hard place. The ones who have done well, like Loblaw, have aggressively used capital to reinvent their business. Like Loblaw, believe it or not, big retailer, they have worked incredibly hard to try to stay relevant because um, they see they see Amazon coming after them, they see Walmart and Costco chomping at the bit. So they've put a lot of capital into reinventing themselves. A lot of these chains won't have the appetite or the capital or the balance sheet, really, to even entertain these changes. And they're sort of just a sitting duck waiting to slip uh, slip into the ocean. Well, one-stop shopping. I mean, in Loblaw's situation, of course, many of those uh, outlets now have Joe Fresh and a clothing line. So, I mean, you, that's that's an attraction. The other one that sure. I've heard from an awful lot of those those grocery store retailers uh, is is the hot food counter. Uh, and, of course, you can't do that online. It's, well, I guess you can. No. We skip the dishes. But but you can yeah. But but that seems to be the majority of their sales right now. So it seems everybody's is is in the process of trying to reinvent themselves right now. You have to. I mean, look at society, right? There's less time to make meals. You know, everyone's working. There's no time to shop for grocery. You want to eat healthy, so you run by on the way home to Loblaw or what have you. Grab a hot meal that's reasonably healthy, that's pre-made. You'll pay more for it because you know you have to because you don't have that convenience. So retailers, grocers love it because it's high margin and it's high growth right now. Um, and the other thing that's happening that's still sort of uh, in its embryonic stage is really the meal kit delivery service, right? Yeah. So, you know, you can go on and you can subscribe to a meal kit. Someone rings the doorbell, they drop off a box with all these ingredients. You just have to cook. So that's something that uh, is probably going to get more traction over the next few years. Again, because it's a time-saving solution for busy consumers. Just about out of time here, but with sure. the, this this news again about a number of these chains, uh, only the strong survive. But I guess that's really that's not just jungle law; that's, that's retail law as well. But For is sure. this is this going to embolden the the mom and pop operations, the specialty shops that, that offer services and maybe a little more personal service that some of the big chains couldn't? Absolutely. I mean, that's my, my I have a book coming out. I'm not trying to plug my book. But yeah, my please book go ahead. About, well, I'll plug it once it comes out. But my book okay. talks about a future where there's really two types of retail: there's big chains. And there's local independence, and that's it, because that's really the only way to make it work. You're either a behemoth like a Walmart or an Amazon, or you're a local mom and pop store that has great service and offers local products, and people like that. And that's probably you know what you're going to see in retail. Bruce Winder, always a pleasure, a retail expert. And uh, let, come on, let's uh, make a date here. Come back after you get the book published, and we'll talk about that. Okay? Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks a lot. Okay, good talking with you. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.